In this video, I had the chance to talk to Tommy Z, who not only makes a living from music, but runs a company where he employs other people that also make a living with music. And the way they do this is they make music for brands in advertising. And so in this video, we talk a lot about how the industry works, how much people get paid, and also how you can break into it too. So let's get into it. Hope you enjoy. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on, first of all. Really appreciate it. It's cool to meet you. Um, me and my uh, family. I'm not talking about my like blood family, but <laughs> my inner circle were big fans of your channel. Thanks, just man. the the authentic way you uh, you approach these things. It just doesn't feel like you know it's too produced, whatever. It's real life. We're big fans of that. So so yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, who am I? Well, they call me Tommy Z. That's not my real name, but uh, the judge will know me by a different name. <laughs> And the government and the tax man. But uh, Tommy Z is the name I adopted um, because my last name is actually unpronounceable by the human tongue. So um, when I told people my last name, they said, why don't you just be Tommy Z? And I said, OK, I think that'll be best for everybody. So I am Tommy Z. I'm a music producer who is responsible for delivering music made from scratch, which could be songs, scores, or sounds for big brand campaigns. And I've been doing this just uh, over a decade now. And uh, the interesting thing is I actually used to have a corporate career as a banker. Um, it was actually living a double life because I was a DJ in my 20s, playing at some of Toronto's biggest nightclubs. But I was also a banker by day. So, uh, you know, as I got into my late 20s, it became kind of unbearable trying to play four nights a week at different clubs in Toronto and then trying to get up in the morning um, and pretend that I know what the um, meetings are about on the 27th floor of some skyscraper on Bay Street in Toronto. Bay Street, for those who don't know, is Wall, kind of like Wall Street, the Canadian Wall Street. So I didn't see my future as a DJ because I already saw glimpses of like superstar DJs in Toronto who became uh, postmen or they became like IT support guys, <laughs> you know, when, the, when, the, when their glory days were over. Um, and I didn't see myself as a star on stage either. Uh, I was already involved in music production. So I was doing remixes for labels. I was licensing my tracks to different compilations around the world. Back then you could actually make money doing that. You could yeah. license your track to a compilation in Spain, let's say, and maybe you might make a, a grand or two off of that. But it was so irregular, all of that, you know, it was so up and down that I really held on to my corporate gig because I'm like, I'm not really sh like, I can't really see myself making a living off of music. And yeah, it wasn't until a friend of mine actually asked me if I would score a uh, campaign for Pontiac Aztec, which I believe to be probably the world's ugliest car. <laughs> if anyone's ever seen the Pontiac Aztec. Uh, but I didn't much care about that. What was interesting to me is that I never really connected my music making activity with the fact that, yeah, there are commercials and they need music. 
I never actually yeah. thought about it. Like who, who makes music for these commercials? I was just really focused on the traditional ways of making a living with music, which was, yeah, either get a record deal or remix something for a fee or uh, license something to a compilation uh, or try to sell your music to people. But even back then it was already like, you know, that was the day of Napster. Like those were the days of Napster. So like already the idea of paying for music was not so, uh, you know, it was like, it's time to find a different way because people are basically getting their music for free. Yeah. And so this was the first time when I did this Pontiac Aztec thing, I spent probably like two days on it. Um, we had some feedback from the client. Uh, I spent maybe another two hours on it. All in all, I spent like two evenings and um, maybe another two hours on revisions. And that was that. And then I got the paycheck like three weeks later. And it was like, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was a shocker to me. Like yeah. it was at least two months of my salary at a full-time job, which was wow. basically sucking the life out of me <laughs> uh, in exchange, this paycheck for sitting a couple of nights in the studio, which I was doing already anyway for yeah. free. Um, so to me, it was like, Hey, is this thing happening regularly? Like, is this a thing, you know? And I realized it's a thing. Yeah. And it's funny looking back on it now because I realize how many musicians don't realize it's a thing. Yeah. They probably think it's like, oh, yeah, they probably license something or they probably look in a stock bank, which is absolutely not true. Yes, once in a while, brands will license Ed Sheeran or Pharrell or whatever. Yeah. But you got to think about the fact that it's not sustainable for them to be able to license Ed Sheeran and Pharrell and yeah. Miley Cyrus and whoever else they decide to license. Yeah, because I would imagine that, that licensing oh, the, a song is like significantly more expensive it's than hiring someone to do it from scratch. That's right. So once in a while, they'll do this like huge thing where they'll borrow the light of a star, pay them a lot of money. Um, when I say them, I mean their label, their publisher. Mm. Uh, yeah. And um, and yeah, but most of the time, like I would say at least 90% of the time, all of this content that brands are generating, and you're talking about billions of dollars of, of uh, expenditures on marketing. Yeah. Billions. And millions of that go to music. And a lot of that music is actually made from scratch. And this has been going on for decades. Like when I joined it, I joined the business in year 2006, I believe. It was already a thing for many decades before then. Yeah. There were special companies, studios set up to create music for commercials. Uh, there were all sorts of freelance musicians that were totally plugged into that business. And that's how they were making their living. Um, you know, like in the 80s, somebody would come into the studio uh, bang out like a four note thing and that would be like the mcdonald's jingle and they would be getting paid forever like thousands yeah. of dollars you know um i think the good old days are gone where you could like become a millionaire off of commercials but it's certainly true and i'm living that life 
that there are countless musicians around the world uh, who create music for commercials as a full-time career. Yeah. And I know because I'm working with them and we actually feature them um, in our academy and in our community, constantly bringing in the pros. And the first question I ask is like, do you have a day job? No. How do you support yourself? I create demos all day, sometimes <laughs> night for all these brand campaigns. I get paid a demo fee for it. And if the demo lands, you get a final fee, which yeah. is significantly higher. And yeah, that's how they live off of music. So you asked me to talk about myself, but I veered onto all <laughs> sorts of tangents. No, no, that's so good. The summary is this. Former corporate guy, quit my job, discovered the world, the world of music and brands, which was quite hidden. But then I realized like there's a whole industry that exists to create music from scratch, yeah. songs, score, sounds for, for brand campaigns. I joined the business 15 years ago. I started my career in Toronto. Um, three years later, after actually getting into the business, I met a girl in Europe. I fell in love with her. I left my life in North America, moved to Europe, ended up in Amsterdam of all places <laughs> as a creative director of one of the finest music production companies in the world, in the world of music and brands. And uh, yeah, I was in Amsterdam for five years working on some really huge campaigns with uh, big brands and agencies and film directors. And then I decided to leave um, uh, Massive and start my own company called yeah. Tommy's Co., which is less about being massive and more about being boutique, right. doing some really remarkable crafty stuff with uh, people that I like, basically. Yeah. So we're not trying to be huge. We're trying to be, uh, we're trying to do things uh, that we like with people that we like. And that's in a nutshell. And we're also the only music production company that teaches people the ins and outs, the arts and the craft of making a living, uh, making music for brands. So yeah. that's in a nutshell. <laughs> so from a, uh... You know, if, if someone like, you know, Nike or something is like, hey, I want to, I'm making this commercial. We're going to have like, you know, we're going to get this actor to go like jump in a swimming pool full of shoes or whatever. And they can, you know, come up with whatever their ad is. How does mm -hmm. that eventually flow down to, um, to the individual artist making the music? Like it's, I would imagine that the, uh, you know, the Nike is not reaching out to like, you know, um, Tommy Z, well, maybe, maybe Tommy Z directly, but maybe not, um, you know, Bill, the music maker who makes music at home directly. I would imagine there's some big chain of uh, kind of command yes. that goes through. Yes. Although I would say that we are now living at a time that if you are doing something very, very interesting and you have a following on YouTube or Instagram, don't yeah. be surprised if a brand hits you up directly. Right. Um, don't be surprised if that happens. But majority of the cases, yes, there is a process and the process is pretty much the same every single time. And here it is. The brand, believe it or not, doesn't do anything. So like when you think about Red Bull, they don't even make the drink. That's the first thing I got to tell you guys to like open your eyes to understand what is a brand and like 
what is the role of a brand? The role of a brand like Red Bull is not to manufacture sugar water with caffeine. That's what uh, some kind of a separate company does without a sign on a factory. They manufacture the cans with the liquid inside. The job of Red Bull is to create a mythology, a story, an aura, a certain frequency that will make you say, ah, I got to have the Red Bull and not the no-name stuff. So Red Bull is not in the business of manufacturing energy drinks. They are in the business of manufacturing stories that are going to move you. This is why instead of like someone from Red Bull sitting at an assembly line going, you know, are we uh, doing a great job with these drinks? The Red Bull employees are instead organizing huge extreme sport events, yeah. huge stunts with people jumping off of planets. <laughs> I don't know what they're, I mean, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, they're like, that, basically, like that, that stunt where they, you know, they're the highest skydive in history and they're always doing like X game sports things. All or that whatever. stuff. All that stuff, right? They were also heavily involved with in, in, in music, Red Bull Music Academy. Uh, so it's all building a story. It's all building a story. It's not about the drink. So that's what a brand does. So let's say, um, going back to your question, that Red Bull uh, marketing team wants to grab the attention of us in some way. And so they want to create a campaign. They will actually go and select from a list of agencies, advertising agencies, probably bigger ones because it's the bigger agencies that serve the bigger brands. Mm -hmm. and they will say to these ad agencies, guys, we're looking for a creative partner, submit your ideas. And then whoever gives us the best ideas for the next two years, we will make you an agency of record. It's yeah. sort of how they pick the agency. Okay. So these agencies start battling, you know, they're trying to basically outdo themselves and, battle each other in, in, in coming up with the best idea of how Red Bulls should tell their story, what kind of stunts they should pull, what kind of maybe celebrities they should hire, basically like big picture ideas about the, you know, creative concepts. Yeah. Then Red yeah. Bull selects one of the agencies and goes, okay, agency A, we really love your vision for Red Bull for the next two years. Let's sign a contract. Here's a billion dollars. You guys are going to be thinking up and executing all of the ideas for us. Uh, so brands don't even actually come up with ideas a lot of the time. It's yeah. an ad agency, an advertising agency that will do it. So then the ad agency will have the first campaign idea to be rolled out in the next, let's say 90 days. And so they will think of the idea, but now the ad agency is actually not the one who does anything other than come up with ideas. Okay, yeah. so the ad agency will then in turn need somebody to actually execute the idea. So that's when they start choosing all of their creative partners. So let's say that they want to film some incredible campaign for Red Bull, really well shot with really exciting music. The ad agency will then go out to a number of different film production companies and they will say, hey guys, we want to shoot this incredible spot. Here is the, 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 the idea that we have. And here is the storyboard. Um, 
and we want you to start writing a treatment for this. So then the film production companies will pick their best directors or the film directors that they believe are fit to execute this kind of campaign. And they will ask the film director to write a treatment in a PDF. And so the film director will say something like, hey, agency, hey, Red Bull, this is the best thing I've ever heard. You know, a lot of ass kissing going on there. <laughs> best idea I've ever heard. I totally believe this will change everything. And I am very excited to offer you my take on how to best shoot and realize this idea. And then they will go on with, you know, uh, kind of like a style guide. Here's what I picture the, the film like. Here's what I picture the angles like. Here's what I picture the colors like. Here's what I picture the, um, the music like, the sound. They'll even chime in on that. And so whoever's treatment, the agency and the client like best, that's the film production company they will choose. So film production yeah. companies battle for, for the right to, to create that campaign. So once a director is chosen and a film production company is chosen, then it's time for the agency to choose the rest of the production chain. And the rest of the production chain is the editor. That will be separate from a film production company. So they will pick the editing house. They will pick the colorist, so visual effects and colors, and they will pick a music production company to do the sound. Yeah. And sometimes uh, they will pick a post-production studio to mix, to create a broadcast mix. Okay. So for instance, in Canada, the way they do it is like a mix uh, or a music production company that specializes in making music for ads. They will do everything to, in one place. So they will come up with the music, they will record the voiceover, and they will do the final mix all in one place. In Europe and in other parts of the world, including the US, um, sometimes those two roles are separated. So making music for the commercial is different from mixing it and from recording VO. Uh, and so a different company will actually create the original music and a different company will take care of mixing it and recording voiceover uh, for broadcast. So, but it is the agency most of the time that will choose um, who they want to come up with, um, yeah, who they want for the music, you know. Yeah. And so very often we have to battle also with other music production companies um, by creating sketches, musical sketches, which we call demos. Once the campaign is shot and it's in rough edit form. So the commercial kind of has an early version. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we don't even have a commercial to make music to. We have a treatment th that the director wrote. Uh, the agency might already start saying, okay guys, show us some music and whichever music we pick, that's who's gonna get the project. And so we battle, whoever wins, wins. And uh, whoever wins gets to go on the rodeo ride with an agency. And I call it a rodeo because sometimes it is a rodeo. Um, it's a very quick process. It's a very high pressure process. It's a very, um, it can be a very stressful process because if you can imagine, it's like, if I asked you to make a demo, Andrew, for tomorrow morning, for Nike, millions of people are gonna see it. There are 27 people on the project team, each, of which will chime in with their opinion, including opinions like, well, my 17-year-old son just didn't think it was cool enough. 
Jesus. I kid you not, man. I kid you not. This stuff happens. Um, Well, so I guess on on that note, so when, when they're going to the, um, you know, the music house, what kind of, what kind of like statements will they give you in terms of what they're looking for? Like, are they going to say, I mean, would they say something like, we're looking for a, a kind of poppy song that sounds like it's from the seventies that reminds us as this artist, or would they give you something more like we're trying to tell a story of, um, you know, um, of hope and, and then end with like a, a message of like, I don't know, strength or something, you know, like, is there, are they going to give you references or are they going to tell you what emotions they want captured? Yeah. So the ideal brief is that they do all three. Okay. So they okay. express the general spirit of the campaign as in, we want it to feel like we talked about this before we started live stream, a hero's journey. So yeah, the beginning is uncertain. There are question marks. It's building up the tension. Are we going to make it? Are we not going to make it? I don't know. But believe me, in commercials, it, it's always a happy ending. So yeah. expect that by the 25th second or before of the commercial, if the commercial is 30 seconds, we're going to reach the high point. The energy uh, is going to be at its highest point, climax, hero overcomes obstacles. Everything is great. Buy this toilet paper uh, <laughs> or whatever. Um so, so yeah, so the briefing quality differs. There are some excellent briefs that we'll provide you with. Here is the mood boards. Here's what the colors will be, the actors. So you can really feel the entire piece of the puzzle and, yeah. and figure out how to translate that into music, including very specific music references um, like you know, we love Tom Waits for this. We want someone with a voice with character, someone who is a rebel, someone who is, a, you know, a revolutionary, not a plain voice, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yes, we often do get references. Sometimes we don't have references. It really depends on who's briefing you. Yeah. For instance, I work with film directors who have sent me a early version of the commercial that they shot, and they're like, and this is when we have a closer relationship, they will be like, I have no idea. <laughs> Question mark. And like yeah. the, the film attached. And then I try to help them figure it out. And uh, sometimes, you know, it's like the brief is so thought out that it's actually stifling. And right. if you listen to some of the famous Hollywood composers ever talk about it in a, in a round circle. There's a bunch of YouTube videos like this where you have like Danny Elfman, Hans Zimmer. I don't remember. It's like a composer round table or something like that. You should look it up. Oh yeah. The, I think I've seen that yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. The first thing they will say is like how they hate the, uh, not that they hate the reference track or the temp track as they call it, but they hate the fact that the, everybody on the production team makes them stick to it. And so whatever like, magical vision Hans Zimmer or Danny Elfman were going to bring to it, their own unique contribution is stifled by the fact that the whole project team has been watching the edit with the temp track for the last three weeks. Yeah. You know how it is with music, man. Yeah. It's, more- it's like when, something- when you're a band or an artist and you have a demo for like, you know, let's say you don't record your final version for two months or something. Um, when you go to record the final, sometimes you're like, I know this is better but I don't like it as much. And it's just because of that, that whole thing of, um, you know, when you've been listening to something for so long that you get attached to it. 
Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes, I mean, we get this a lot of times where basically by the time it gets to the music production, because they've been sitting in the editing suite. And when I say they, I mean the client, the ad agency, the editor, sometimes the film director, they're all sitting there. The music guys are very, like, they're not there a lot of the time in the editing suite. Yeah. So that's actually quite unfortunate because everything is happening with us being isolated from the process. And then they unload on us basically like, here's what we want you to do. We want the black keys, you know? And, and it's like, well, why? Well, because we have the black keys on the edit and everybody loves it. But what if you have a different perspective? Very often that perspective is just not going to be sold very easily because they're like, well, the client likes the black keys. So just do the black keys. So very often you find that whatever artistic uh, genius you want to bring to the project in a way of a fresh perspective is often neutered and Mm. you kind of become just a craftsperson. And, you know, if you enter this business, you have to be okay with that. Um, Still, I mean, while we all bemoan this fact, me and my peers in the business, uh, the fact remains that we're sitting in a studio getting paid to turn knobs to open sessions to uh, basically create music. I mean, so, so, you know, it's just a pain, a bit of a pain that people should be aware of that comes with this job. And it's a difference between being a craftsperson and an artist or uh, how we right. say in the masterclass, the difference between being an artisan and an artist. An artisan is somebody who's commissioned to solve a problem for somebody in exchange for money. So you don't always get to be an artist there. Yeah. And if you behave too much like an artist, when your role and the context is really to be an artisan, you, you're actually gonna probably sabotage your career. Yeah. Because sometimes people just need you to execute something technically really well that they have in mind. And so, yeah, it's so, like if you think of, um, I guess, like a craftsperson who maybe makes custom wood furniture or something, I would imagine yeah. oftentimes they'll be, I mean, the people might go to that craftsman because they like their aesthetic and they like their work and they like what they do. But if they tell them, hey, we want, we want like a dining room chair. And the craftsperson is like, oh, no, 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 no. I have this vision for this like big throne thing and it's going to have all these these expensive things and it's going to take this long to do. They might be like, no, 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 I, I want a dining room chair. <laughs> I want I want it to have your style, but I don't want you to turn this into a three to six month long art project that's going to cost $3,000. Yeah, and that's where you learn. Like when you're a great craftsperson, sometimes you put the feeling aside and you're very objective about are you solving the the specific context the problem here so like when i order a dining room chair the most important thing for me is to be able to sit comfortably and eat my meal yeah right so if somebody flies into the room with a crazy talking and vision like this is the most innovative dining room chair ever man and i've been an architect for the last 25 years or a furniture designer So I know what I'm talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, well, I just can't sit in it. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's kind of like that. A lot of musicians tend to hold things very close to their heart. Uh, And we we talk about killing babies in our business. Literally, that's the expression we use. You got to be willing to kill your baby. I realize you love the piece of music he came up with, but sometimes the client just coldly says, I don't like it. 
And, and you just have to let that go and try to understand why is it that they don't like it? What is the context of the situation? Um, you know, sometimes it's not even like objectively, sometimes the client is not right objectively. So like you could sit in that chair, you absolutely could sit in that chair, but because someone else on the project team who has more influence uh, hates Oak, they've always hated Oak trees. That's the reason why this chair is not going to be sold. Yeah. And so, you know, you kind of become hip to that game as a music producer, which is my role. Yeah. You start seeing the bigger picture, the context, the politics, the entire chessboard. Um, and that's my job to do. But the musicians that I hire to work with me, they're isolated from that. So they don't see that. So it's my job to kind of buffer the, them from that and to explain to them, look, I know you think this is the right direction, but here is why we got to do something different. And it's not for the reasons that you think. Yeah. It's like some stupid political reason or whatever. It, it sounds uh, like it's a lot like the the agency. They're, they kind of function to the music like curators, like how artists might pitch to curators on playlists or YouTube channels or blogs. You know, on one hand, it might be because your song isn't good, and it might, but it might just be because they don't like... Uh, you know, your song sounded too hip hop and they hate hip hop. <laughs> and like, there's, there's personal emotions in it. There's pride it's, in it. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it's not always because the song's bad. And so it's, it sounds like that's, that's kind of like one parallel you could make with that. Um, and artists, I would imagine have to go through a lot of rejection in your, in your industry, because if I would, I would imagine if, if you're pitching to a couple artists or not art, I guess, composers, um, would be probably more accurate for well, artists too. I mean, I have, I work with artists who double as songwriters for the advertising world, even though they have okay. record deals, they got the whole yeah. art thing going. That's very much a case. Yeah. So when, when you're pitching to them, you know, you're probably going to them because of the pitch you got, you think they will be a good fit for it, but you're probably yeah. not just going to them, right? You're probably going to like five people to make sure that you can get one or yeah. two decent yeah. demos and, yeah, and you try to distribute it so that uh, it's not the same five sounds. Like, mm. you know, it's like if I can slice the uh, campaign uh, through five different interpretations, I'm going to go, well, what if we just did like sound design music? So then I go to the sound design expert and then, yeah, let's do uh, indie singer-songwriter folky kind of stuff. So then who's the best person I have in mind for that? Let's go to that. And then, you know what? This spot could also be like maybe without a vocal, just like a hybrid electronic orchestral piece. Let's try that. So, yeah. So you're right. We go to five. Um, I try to not to go to so many people, but, um, yeah. but you know, like, I mean, it depends on the context. Sometimes the client says, I want a lot of options. So you will literally have like, three music production companies each reaching out to like five different people. And uh, so, yeah, so it's very likely that your track is not going to make the end, but um, yeah. the final spot. But the, the thing- How does the payment our, work for that? Because you, you mentioned that you might, artists will get paid for their demo, but I would imagine that if you as the music house lose the contract, um, you're not getting paid at all from the ad agency or, or do they give you some so, kind of money just to, like kick off sometimes they do yeah sometimes they do so sometimes okay. when for instance uh you know i have a friend at the agency 
and they want me to pitch, uh, but the client wants to have selections from three different companies. Uh, but they will organize a demo budget. So therefore okay. I have money to pay composers and the average demo fee. And this is something I talk about like in the introductory free training that we do for people who want to find out more about the world. It's 250, 250 bucks. That's the average that you get. But keep in mind in order to get that 250 bucks to create a 30 second demo, you have to be already on a certain level as far as the relationship yeah. you have with the music house. So if you're just a beginner, uh, and I don't mean like you're just beginning to make music, because then it's very likely that you're not ready yet to yeah. showcase your stuff to the music houses, but you're a beginner in our world, which means you could be advanced in music making. You could be giving people goosebumps, but you just don't know anybody in our world yet. First, you have to do that. You have to say, hey, my music gives goosebumps, man. <laughs> like here. Listen, and I believe it fits the advertising context. I've done my research. I've looked at your reel. I've looked at what brands are doing. I've looked at all these music production companies. I really believe my sound is a great intersection between like, you know, the sound that I'm doing, but also what the, what the brands are using. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, you know, if the email is written right and you present me with a link that doesn't show me like 50 things, but it showed me something very, very strong in the first five seconds. Then you buy yourself the next five seconds. And then the next five seconds is still grooving me. Like my head is moving. My soul is moving. My body's moving. And most importantly, as a music producer, I'm going, okay, I can picture this. I can yeah. picture this Volvo commercial, or I can picture um, some actress, you know, walking in a long gown, advertising a perfume. <laughs> or I can picture whatever, you know, but yeah. this is how I think. So what you send to music producers has to be contextually relevant. Right. I, I don't care if you think this is the best thing in the world. If it doesn't spark in the music producer's head, the correlation with a campaign, like they can't picture it in the campaign. It doesn't matter how good your music is. We're just like, yeah, yeah I'll say that's great. But like, I don't have any immediate fit for you application. Uh, but if I do, then I might try somebody I've never worked with, but I probably won't uh, pay them a demo fee in the beginning yeah. because yeah. it's kind of like insurance. I need to make sure that I first um, pay the folks who have the highest chance of delivering me something yeah. that, uh, yeah, like based on our track record, I will trust them to deliver something that I expect will be in the range for which I hired them for. But, uh, yeah, I'm always trying, uh, new folks. It's just that, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend the demo budget on someone brand new because I have no idea. Are they going to even deliver? Like, yeah. <laughs> what if they're late 24 hours of the demo because they're so naive about this business uh, that they basically email me a day later going, oh, uh, I typed in the wrong email. Sorry, man. And here's the demo. And it's like, well, it's not on picture. Why isn't it on picture? Oh, well, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, yeah. so this is something that we really like, you know, like we grill people, man. It's almost like um, military training in our <laughs> academy, you know, just to snap musicians out of this like loosey-goosey world. Yeah. And and put them in this world where it's like, hey, wake up, make your bed, do 50 push-ups, go in the studio, make the magic, but then be diligent and reliable as hell. Because yeah. 
it's amazing when I ask people in the business, like, why, who do you respond to when musicians email you? And I'm asking my peers, like people who hire freelance musicians. And the, the number one word that keeps coming up, apart from, yeah, their music gives me goosebumps, they're incredible uh, craftspeople, reliable. Yeah. You, I mean, really? Is that the number one thing? And it's like, yeah, because without reliable, what good is your freaking superpower? Yeah. If your demo's a day late, like. This is pretty much every- like an, unless a person is like absolutely phenomenal. Um, that's like the one, I guess, life skill that's probably valued about everything else. You know, if someone is like 20% worse than, um, you know, someone else who is, is fabulous. But every time you hit them up, they meet their deadline. They deliver a consistent product in the the format you want and the time they want. Um, you probably hire that person. You know, like let's say you had to bring someone on. It was more like a hiring process. A, a company is like it, just outside of music is more likely to hire someone reliable than talented necessarily. Yeah, I mean, we need both. You yeah. know, we just uh, I can't compromise on quality or goosebumps. The yeah, goal is always sense. goosebumps. The goal is always goosebumps. But if Goosebumps are uh, uh, two days late, it's probably a no-go. Then, you know, I mean, we can't, you know, things move really fast. And again, there's a lot of pressure and you got to like, I think this is what separates amateurs from pro musicians. I just see a different kind of human being in a pro musician or somebody who I know will be one in the future. And it's the ability to perform without applause for a yeah. long ass time, like the Beatles did in Germany. Um, or like when you see a great performer and the audience is completely dead, but they just deliver, you know, without any kind of like need to be inspired by the audience. Sure, if yeah. you have the audience and the magic is there, like it's the right evening, the right concert. Yeah, it makes the concert even better. But like, Professionals don't count on that. They have built um, kind of a regimen of routines and rituals that stabilize their psychology where the performance is not linked to what people say about it. So just because I send 100 emails and I don't get a reply, not a single reply, that doesn't influence the fact that I'm going to send another hundred emails next week. That's what I notice is the difference between like amateurs and pros. And, um, it's the same with music. You know, Uh, most people will not make it the final campaign, but that's not going to like influence the enthusiasm and the determination and the energy they enter the studio with. Right. You see what I mean? Or another example, say I pick your demo and, you know, everyone's like, this is a great demo, great demo, unbelievable, Andrew. Holy shit, who is this Andrew Southworth guy? (laughs) Wow, this campaign will be like, we're going to win a Nobel Peace Prize, guys. (laughs) It's like, okay, guys, calm down. Everyone take a deep breath. And then after that initial high five and the champagne spilling all over the mixer in the studio, comes the inevitable email a day later. Okay, guys, so actually uh, we had a chat with our accounting team uh, 
and with a senior uh, vice president of branding at the agency. And we're thinking now, you know, that lead that you have there, maybe it's kind of overpowering the spot, you know? Mm. It's like, oh, great. That's the lead that Andrew sound design that never existed before. And that was the reason why everyone like started going nuts. Yeah. So now somebody said something about the lead. Now we got to, okay. So it's like death by a thousand cuts, right? <laughs> the lead. Okay. Let's remove that. Oh, maybe the drums are too loud. And then you, you, you know, it's like slowly, slowly, slowly being reduced. Right. Yeah. And so the trick here for you, Andrew, is not to lose your, spirit in the studio right because they're slowly chopping apart your precious child yeah the things you love most are disappearing the whole trick is to be able to go in the studio and still have the enthusiasm the willingness to create the best thing that you can under the circumstances and accepting the fact that this is the way it's going the other thing i will say about rejection is that just because your demo doesn't make it, it doesn't mean that it's not remarkable. Maybe that it's not the best demo out of the whole bunch. But just because it's the best demo out of the whole bunch doesn't mean it's going to make the cut. Because again, the demos that make the cut, they make the cut for whatever reason. It could be political, it could be drama, it could be this, it could be that. Yeah. So don't concern yourself with the fact that people don't answer your email. Okay, don't concern yourself with the fact that the demo didn't make it. The story that creative people tell themselves right away because we're so sensitive to our environment, we pick up vibes and energy off of other people, right? That's why we're kind of insecure sometimes about our work. The story that you tell yourself immediately when that happens is, oh, my demo wasn't good enough. Or, oh, my, my email was weak or my website is terrible. That's why they didn't reply to me. Of course, you must keep your stuff world-class. So your website should be world-class. Your email should be world-class, crisp, short, compelling to the point, showing the best music right away. And, but when it is, and this is a story that I've heard countless times from people who are in the business, the way they got in, don't assume that because like people don't like you because they didn't reply. We're busy. People are busy. They just didn't have time. The art of the follow-up is everything. Okay. That's what separates the pros from amateurs. If you follow up five times, I guarantee you people are going to start getting back to you. And also the follow-up is something that shows other people that you're serious. It's almost like a testing ground for the hero's journey. It's like, (laughs) are you cut out for this business? Because if you sent one email uh, to like, if you send a hundred emails, let's say, you didn't get a reply and you gave up. That shows me your psychology is not where it needs to be. Yeah. It's kind of like, to- like what they do in, a, in college for engineering is like year one and two, or really year one is kind of like the weed out year. Like they, they basically, yeah. you, most students will find that it's usually that first row of engineering classes are arbitrarily hard just to like separate the men from the boys, so to speak. <laughs> um, yep. And it's kind of like that in, in music too. I mean, like, there's really no such thing as an overnight success story as an artist either. I mean, most artists who make it spend, they might spend a decade grinding and just like not caring what people think before they finally start, you know, being like you, what you consider like a successful artist. Um, so it's kind of, I mean, every industry, I feel like that's true. And there's people who might 
there's a big difference between wanting to do something, being passionate about it, and having the work ethic to actually to do it. Because if you don't do it, there's someone else that's gonna, and they're gonna get the gig, you know? Yeah, it's absolutely no effort on your part to dream. And sometimes people confuse dreaming and ambition with the raw, dirty work that you just have to put in. And like, again, I, I, you know, and we have a whole module dedicated to this in our academy, the foundations module, which is like, what is the journey from artisan or from amateur to artisan? Yeah. And, you know, the difference is, uh, just to summarize, amateurs dream. And what do they do next? They dabble. The amateur never commits to a destination. They never commit to a decision. It's almost like the dreaming is fun. Noodling, dabbling is fun. But they know deep down, they know what they're avoiding. It's like, you know what? To commit to your decision to try to be a full-time musician or to try to like be a remarkable craftsperson, that's painful. You're yeah. signing up for pain. You're signing up for pain. I mean, I always tell people the meaning of the word passion. I believe it comes from a Latin word, um, which is pain, suffering, actually. It's suffering. So the root the etymology of the word passion is suffering. Yeah. So you got to suffer for your passion. And, you know, you read a biography of any remarkable musical artist, you see there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of pain. Yeah. There's a lot of rejection. Even when you look at something like, you know, the, a biography of like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates, like there's, they had, to, they had to fail and suffer a whole lot before they became, you know, some of the most successful people in human history. Absolutely. But let me tell you this. You think that pain is bad of facing rejection, of um, enduring the silence, of getting like no answer, no kind of recognition? You think that's bad. You wait till you're about to like breathe your last breath and you realize that you actually haven't taken on the thing you knew deep down in your consciousness and your soul was a thing you wanted most or the thing that you believed you were called to do. Yeah. But yeah, you ration, you rationalized, whatever you told yourself all kinds of stories and now you're laying there going, yeah, you're not going to probably get another chance unless you believe in reincarnation. Yeah. But you know, to the best of my knowledge, we only live once, man. So, Hey, yeah. Uh, it's actually, um, you know, it's like the same as going to the gym. Do I like going to the gym? No. Do I like leaving the gym? Yeah. Am I better for it? Probably. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. So so it's the same with music, man. I feel like, um, yeah. hey, I signed up for this. And actually, when I'm telling the story to my grandkids, what the hell kind of story would it be if I didn't have those early moments where people were clowning me? where people were not answering my email, where yeah. I was basically like losing every single pitch for the first year or so, but everyone going, oh man, your music is great. It's great. But like, I had nothing to show for it. 
But I just made a decision. And that's the difference between an amateur and a pro is a pro makes a decision. That's number one. Number two, they have a destination. I believe a lot of musicians do not feel a momentum in their career because they simply don't have a destination. So they get into their studio at the end of their day job every day. And I know that feeling because I was there, guys. So I'm speaking from experience. And what do you do? You try to work on your music career. But what does that mean in reality? You turn on your Moog, you program a bunch of patches, you kind of nod your head, you go, yeah, this is awesome. And then what? And then you go to work the next day and then you come back and you haven't actually laid down a brick. There's no wall forming. Like you're basically putting a different brick in a different place every single time because you don't have a destination. So that's a really, really good point that I can imagine a lot of people can relate to. Um, Since I'd imagine most of the people watching are from the artist side, you know, they're not coming from the, the world you live in. Like, you know, there's a big difference between making music for fun and coming up with your goals that you're trying to commit to. And you can do both. I mean, last night I fired up the Eurorack thing and I just dabbled. And that's, but that was, you know, that was a much different story than when I think, okay, I I have to get a song out. Um, I need to come up with a great chord progression with a melody idea so that tomorrow I can track it and then I can get it finished by this week so that I can have it online by like two weeks from now. And then everything that I do, I try to have a, a specific goal. And that way it's like, there's always something pulling you forward. Like I want to release this song and I want it to hit, you know, a hundred thousand streams or whatever. And you, let me put it this way. If you didn't have the destination, the dabbling on your Euro rack might be nothing but temporary amusement of yourself. Don't get me wrong here. You need to be inspired in a studio. Music is not selling vacuum cleaners or real estate. We want to hear magic coming out of the speaker that will give goosebumps to, to, to our audience. In order to create magic, you have to be inspired. Okay. Yeah. I'm not trying to, we need to do that also. In addition to being craftspeople, we need to deliver magic. Okay. Yeah. But if you don't have the destination, then your dabbling serves no higher purpose. But say yesterday you turned on your Euro rack and you said, you know what, man, I love my life. And you tell yourself, Andrew, I'm feeling you, man. You're doing this. You got the Euro rack. You got the Canon set up. You got the YouTube channel. You're putting in the work. You're showing up. You're committing to putting out the videos. It's all happening. You have every right to feel good about yourself. And guess what? In that moment, when your serotonin is firing, your dopamine is firing because you're living the life that you're, you, you feel called to live, that's when you have the greatest chance of actually like doing something incredible in the studio. You know, it's not when you're entering the studio with resistance or whatever. And then you have a magical moment on the Euro rack, a bunch of things come together and you're like, Holy shit, this is incredible. And guess what? Now this moment serves your higher purpose, your destination. You can actually take that brick that you built that happened by accident when you were having fun and you can stack it on the way to your destination. Whereas a musician without a goal, without a destination, without a release date, what will they do with that brick? They'll place it somewhere. But in five years of placing those bricks, you'll basically have bricks (laughs) scattered all over the place and no real body of work, 
no real body of work that you can show your grandkids and go, hey, kids, you know what? It turns out that I could never leave my day job in the end. And maybe it was best. I did the day job. But you know, guys, I never freaking gave up. I never gave up. I did an hour in the studio every single day. I released the albums. You hear stories like this all the time. You hear stories of like people who made 30 grand a year and became millionaires. Why? Because they were systematic, but with their yeah. savings and investments. You hear stories of people who made hundreds of thousands who don't have anything to show for it. So, so I do believe that it's not, you know, it's not making it as a full-time musician that's going to be uh, maybe the ultimate reward for you. Maybe you never make it as a full-time musician. That's the brutal truth. Yeah. But what's going to hurt you a lot is if you didn't even try, if you didn't commit, if you didn't set aside, you know, an hour or 90 minutes or even half an hour to the thing that you love most and actually committed to doing something with it. It could be as small as a single. Yeah. Could be an EP. It could be that you're going to stream something, your music making process, whatever. But share your damn musical gift with the world. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, the thing that you're, that you're describing, it's, it's uh, you know, this, this kind of like interview series that I've done where I talk to people who have like found success in some niche in the music world. You know, the, the most common thing I've noticed is that the people who have hit those success have like one thing in common. It's that they just did the thing that they wanted to do a lot. And when it didn't go well, they just kept doing it until it did go well. And, Absolutely. you know, like the, um, the, 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 you know, the people who release music for years without things, you know, things happening, they keep doing it. The, the guy that I, uh, Daniel wall on my channel, who, um, has like, f you know, half a million people on TikTok. He said he just released three videos a day for like a year until he finally blew up. Um, yep. and then the, um, you know, for some friends of mine who are DJs and, and who teach courses, like they just kept doing it until they got there and when people ask me andrew how do i grow a, a youtube channel you know i sell them all i've been doing this for like more than a decade and i have like 600 videos up i mean i kind of just did what you just described i put out a video well for the last three years at least at least a video or two a week for three yep. years i mean like <laughs> it's it's yeah. kind of like if you want to do something yeah you might get lucky like peter mckinnon i mean he's talented but he definitely blew up faster than most people most of the time you're gonna and have to you, should, you know and it. you shouldn't look at peter mckinnon i mean yeah you know it's like it depends what your goals are really but you gotta love what you're doing so if you ever like get into music because you know it's a money maker i <laughs> i think the there's better industry, that's i the think case. there's better ways to make money let me just put it to you that way yeah. the reason why you might want to consider like our business, what we do, which is like you're sitting in a studio all day, you're crafting stuff on commission. Some of it might be something you like. Often it'll be like a toilet paper commercial that you don't like. Maybe we'll get paid for it, at least a demo fee. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's still like sometimes people will say under my ads, like the haters, when we advertise the Academy, they'll say, oh, great. Here is a guy who's trying to ruin music forever because you're trying to you tell musicians to do advertising and work with brands, which are evil. So that's basically selling out. 
I have a different philosophy about it. You know, I believe that, well, first of all, tell, tell Ray Charles that he's a sellout. Tell David Bowie he's a sellout. Tell Brian Eno he's a sellout because all of these people work with brands. So, I, I mean, I don't think that they've suffered with their integrity <laughs> in any way by doing the right brand campaign. Yeah. But I believe selling out is basically um, sacrificing what you believe you're called to do and choosing the comfortable way, like a steady paycheck, for instance. And so spending all of your precious life sitting, doing something that you don't even believe in and then leaving what you love, but it hurts the most until last because yeah. you want to go through the pain or whatever. What if nobody watches your videos or watches your TikTok? So, so I believe that's selling out. I personally would rather sit in a studio all day and get paid for it. And I don't always have to enjoy myself in the studio because this is like when you take music on as a full-time career, it's not all lollipops, man. Yeah. It's not. But when I do the final calculation, still, would I rather be in a corporate cubicle right now, uh, environment that I know because I used to be there? Or would I rather be here talking to you and then doing a conference call with an agency and then talking to some of the musicians that I work with going, yeah. oh man, can you believe this? Not this reference again. And all right, let's make something. And then making music, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm okay with my life choices. Um, but I'm constantly too on the journey, you know? This is why I started teaching people about my business because I'd done close to a thousand freaking campaigns. And when you do that, like, I was not feeling inspired anymore. Like, there was nothing that I was learning in each of these campaigns. Yeah. And so I'm like, what am I going to do, you know, to keep myself motivated? And um, I'm really glad that I decided to start teaching this. We're one of the only, like, people who are actually involved in the business and teaching it. Yeah. A lot I mean, of when, 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 online, we first, when we first talked, I, I, like, did some research to see, like, what else was online and 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 um there's like there's literally like your course and that's that's it and then and then you that's talking true. to other people other than me <laughs> like it's it's yeah, pretty yeah, much yeah. it's pretty much just you and i would imagine part of it is that you know either the people doing it just aren't the types of people who enjoy teaching or two they don't want to um kind of like you know give away their secrets or whatever you know yeah, there's a lot, a lot of, of that are, a lot of people there's are afraid um, I just didn't care when I started doing this because I was so bored with producing commercials in a way that I was like, well, it's nothing to me to reveal the secrets, you know? And I actually never believed that um, people say, oh, you're creating more competition for yourself. I don't believe that. And I'm not even creating direct competition for myself because I'm a music producer. So yeah. the people who enroll in our academy are actually musicians who I might work with in the future. So I'm actually increasing my talent pool and I'm actually having an edge over my competition because they keep yeah. working with <laughs> rosters that they know. Yeah. But I have access to like now 500 musicians from all over the world who are giving me really interesting perspectives, sounds and takes. So, so this thing really kind of inspired me again, you know, because uh, yeah. when you have to talk about your business, you get excited about it again. It's so it's kind of weird. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Sometimes you take it for granted, you know, but when I started teaching it, like from basics, I was like, Hey, I'm having a good time doing this. 
I'm watching musicians going, my God, I've been making music for 20 years. I have never <laughs> thought about this. You know, I have never yeah. uh, retained the possibility. And, um, and yeah, so, so. Yeah. By the I, way, you're, the course is like, it's kind of, it's nuts how gigantic it is. <laughs> like I was yeah, not yeah. expecting it. Like I, I think I did the math. So like module one is yeah. like three and a half hours long. And there's seven modules and then there's a bonus module. And I think the bonus module is 10 hours long. So it's yeah. like, there's, there's a good, like 30, 40 hours of, of yeah, material. it's 40 hours, it's 40, 40 hours, hours, like 90 videos. I mean, the funny thing is when I first started thinking about the making the course, I thought it was going to be like a seven hour course, <laughs> L- literally. Yeah. But then like, as I was making it, you know, and I was scared shitless, man, when I was making this course, do you know why? Because it was the first time that I was not sending an invoice to an agency or a brand, which is faithless to me. I care, I give zero Fs, okay, about charging somebody thousands of dollars from an agency. It's not their money. Yeah. It's the brand's money, right? But this is different. I had people literally emailing me going, okay, so I'm spending my last money on this course, hoping it will revitalize my career. And I was like, whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa. It's, it's, <laughs> I was, wait, you know? Um, but it really motivated me to go, okay, I'm not going to have a single person go through this thing and go, somehow I'm underwhelmed, Tommy Z. I gave yeah. you my credit card and man, I kind of feel let down. You know what? I've been there. I spend thousands of dollars on online courses. I do. Yeah. Even to this day, I do. Uh, but the one thing that rubs me the wrong way is when I see the face of the person inviting me into the course all over my Instagram or Facebook, which is what I'm doing too also, by the way. <laughs> but then when I walk in to their house, they're nowhere to be found. Yeah. So that's one thing we said we're not going to do. Like everybody that enrolls, they're going to feel high touch. Every time you send me an email, you're going to get a reply. Every time you do the homework assignment, so we have people scoring real ads, Yeah, we're going to take a look. Yeah, I was you're really gonna- surprised to see like most, a lot, well, at least a few of the modules um, once, once you get into like the whole music making process and giving people like actual things to score to. Like you actually yeah. say, you know, send me... I would imagine the same way that you might pitch to a musician, send me this format and send me this thing. And, you know, you yeah, because I want people like I told you, man, we're training uh, folks to be soldiers, you know, like <laughs> people. So uh, what good would the masterclass be if it's like, you know, it's like when I watch Hans Zimmer's masterclass or Timbaland or Deadmau5. It's nice that they're shot in 4K and the camera's moving and their studios are beautiful and they're saying all sorts of shit. But do I actually, like, am I any further ahead when I started this thing? (laughs) I'm not sure. I think the answer is no. Like, I I watched some of those masterclasses and I'm like, these feel more like documentaries about the artist and with some meaningful life lessons than like... It's cool. And for the price point, you know, I feel that it's worth it. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. I enjoy my experience with the masterclass, but we're something totally different. We're yeah, literally yeah. You're saying, actually like reviewing people's music. And this is a boot camp. Like, module one, foundations. We're going to get your psychology right, your mind right, your office, your studio right, your routines, your rituals. Yeah. That's first. Um, 
again, I told you, man, I thought this was going to be seven hours, but just the <laughs> opening module alone is like three hours. And that's because I pictured a musician sitting across from me and I'm like, okay, what do I need to do in order for me to sleep at night knowing that there's nothing I left untouched and that they don't yeah. come back to me like half, half a year later going, oh, dude, I didn't realize how hard it was. <laughs> and it's like, you know how hard it was because we covered it in module one. And I told you, it's going to be a goddamn roller coaster and you better get your mind ready for this. And here's how you can create an antidote for the roller coaster. And it's yeah. another R yeah. word. It's called routine. So we talk about all this. Then we go, okay, understand the business. That's module two. You're going to understand the business just like an insider will understand the business. Yeah. There's nothing they yeah. will know that you don't know. And then, okay, that's all theory. But now I need you to actually start making some music for the commercials. And we have a lot of musicians who are really good music makers, really, really talented. But as soon as they import a movie file into their DAW, they're like, oh my God, this is different. Like I got to, yeah, like I got to start with an intro, but then suddenly veer into the chorus after five seconds. And then I got to go into a bridge like seven seconds later because the scene calls for it. Uh, how do I do that? You know, so. So, yeah, so we go through the making and I, I give feedback and I'm nice about the feedback, but I, I, you know, it's like true love is when you don't sugarcoat it, yeah. you know, when your kid does something wrong. Um, if you really care, you're going to let them know because otherwise they can't correct. Yeah. They can't make the correction. So we, I tell people straight away, like as soon as I press play and I hear that their sound libraries are outdated. It's like, pause, big no-no, big no-no. Advertising is all about sounding fresh. If I hear that you're, you know, um, using sound libraries from 1997, you're finished immediately. So please, Project Sam, uh, Spitfire, here's here's a list of libraries that pros are using. Invest. I was very surprised that like just by coincidence, I already had a lot of like the, the libraries. <laughs> you were mentioning like, oh, get like Spitfire audio. And I'm like, I have almost every single library. <laughs> it's just just because I, I got to bet, you know, as a YouTube channel, they like send me their libraries often, which is and they're, they're freaking great. And I bought a bunch back in the day when when I was curious about this stuff. They're um, very good. Uh, arcade, uh, the output uh, suite. Yeah. Uh, the entire output suite, guys, if you're listening, uh, you're interested in what advertising people are using. Substance. And- suite, yeah, Substance and um, uh, Rev and yeah. yeah, what else is I, there? I have a video on this channel if anyone's curious. Um, I think I called it like like best sample library, best contact libraries in every category. Yeah. Um, if you check that, just like search my channel, Best Contact Libraries, and you'll see um, essentially most of the things that you, you've mentioned so far, like that's yeah. just basically a list of, of modern great libraries. Yeah, libraries. And, but, but keep in mind this, okay? Like it's not as if you're going to get the output suite and then you're, <laughs> you're like, okay, now I'm ready to go. Yeah. Your gear should be the appropriate stuff that you need to express your unique superpower. Yeah. So you might not even have output suite and you don't give a shit because you're a singer songwriter who has an old dusty guitar 
and you've learned how to record it well and you have a magical voice and that's yeah. what's gonna yeah. give everybody goosebumps well guess what output suite what do you need it for yeah. <laughs> so i'm a big fan of like design your tools to express your superpower and don't just load up on all kinds of tools where you get analysis paralysis you don't even know what to use like some your people tool- might never use orchestral libraries either. No, no. I mean, if you don't aspire to be an orchestral, why would you need Spitfire? You're not, you know, so, so it should be a reflection of your tools. So, so yeah, so we go through that. We do, um, we literally tell people how to build a website. And the reason is again, I pictured a musician in front of me and I've seen so many bad musician websites that I'm like, if I don't teach people how to build a website that music producers in our business will actually respond to, what good is everything else? Because that's your business card. So I yeah. literally need to like show people how to present themselves and their music, how to put together their reel. We even have a goddamn directory of the music production companies in our industry, which is constantly updated by our students. There's literally nothing there that, that like, if you go through the steps and you have the talent and you don't give up, I mean, you really have, there's nothing else that we can teach you. Yeah. Okay, so so I mean, yeah, so I, I believe, you know, um, I'm kind of glad, you know, I was scared when I was making this because I think fear, uh, it kind of drives you to 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 perfection, you know, yeah. um, like I really didn't want and, and to this day, we still have not had a single refund from somebody who said, I want my money back because you know what, man? Your ads were real effective, but like, man, your your masterclass was underwhelming. The <laughs> they reason said, they said that they'd be lying, <laughs> just based yeah. based on what no, I've seen. I, I, I read. I two weeks ago, I had a request for a refund, and the person said, um, "I would like to request my money back because I'm not sad. I'm not fully satisfied." And this is something that I think they picked up from the copy that we have on the website. Like, if you're not yeah. fully satisfied. So then I was like, holy shit, man, we've been running for a year and a half now. Somebody's not satisfied. Okay. So I wrote back. I'm like, okay, your refund is being processed, but please tell me what was it, you know, that you weren't satisfied with. And I'm asking because I, I want to fix this. And they said, I'm sorry, my English, not so good. <laughs> you know, I just, yeah, I just don't, I just can't take this on. This is much bigger than I thought, whatever they said in their broken English. So I was like, oh, okay, thank goodness. But, you know, we're val- we're vigilant. Like if somebody, um, you know, if I ever get someone saying I'm not satisfied and the reason is legit, um, you know, we're on top of that. Yeah. Like if we miss something or whatever, we're on top of that. But luckily all the refunds have been either because um, – and we have a very low refund rate, by the way, like 1% or something like that. Yeah. But uh, it will be like, hey, um, COVID hit me really hard. I mean, I'm sorry to do this because I'm enjoying my experience here and I hope to be back. That's often what we get. But like, honestly, I'm, I'm just feeling pinched yeah. and I, we will never give people a hard time about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so right away, it's like, hey, man, hope things are better. And yeah, whenever you want to come back, come back. Um, so, so yeah. Um, you it's, know. A, it's a good way to do it. I mean, I, I've talked to several people who do courses and, and generally everyone has that approach just because it's better to have, you know, lose that one sale, at least temporarily and have that person be happy 
than have them turn into a, a hate advocate for your your company in your yeah. course because like you know they came up to you and they put their heart on their sleeve and you basically rejected them then it's much better to you know lose the yeah, sale I mean, and save face i guess you know what we're dealing with human beings yeah and uh i always look at my life from in reverse so i'm laying under a streetcar and that's it man this is it you know so what do i think yeah. about most and one of the things that i will think about will be what's next for sure what's next you know uh the second oh, yeah. thing i'll talk about is my family one thing before you before you continue that um some people are asking um, and one person says he has to go and he doesn't even know where to find out more about your class and course so could you just quickly uh, drop with what they can search for to uh making music for brands.com guys it's as simple as that. Yeah. Makingmusicforbrands.com. If you want to check out the work that we do, tommyz.co. Very simple. Yeah. tommyz.co, that's where you'll see the production company. You can send me an email um, if you're interested, but you're not sure. You know, we, uh, we're, not, we're not desperate for students. We're not desperate to get people like – yeah, you have to buy right now. Um, <laughs> we do, we do like if you if you watch the free training which we have on our website, we do squeeze people a little bit, put some fire under their butt to uh, to get them to commit. You know, um, yeah. So we do offer a kind of a time discount for people through go who go through our free training. But yeah, we don't. Um, this is just to mobilize people. You know, if somebody came to me. Uh, like later and people do actually they say you know what it's great that you're giving out a discount in this time frame but like i need to get my crap together so i'll be back in like two months i'm like just email us email yeah. me don't worry man uh we're not gonna we're gonna remember so i want to give a shout out to lucky too lucky bamba great musician part of our family he just sent me um he just sent me a photo He's watching the, the stream. Oh, cool. <laughs> so Lucky, Lucky is my co-host uh, on, on um, the interviews with insiders that we do. So we do like live calls inside yeah. of our pro community. And the pro community is like a very special group of our masterclass students that we've identified as people who have a good chance of turning pro uh, because they're diligent, they communicate well, their music uh, is up to par. And even if it's not, we see that they're really, really striving and they're serious about improving their craft. Yeah. So, yeah. So we basically bring in like industry insiders from our business. Um, we, we did a call yesterday actually with, uh, Asha Ivanovich, who's, um, composer out in LA. Um, yeah, she makes music for brands. She also has her solo artist career going. So we bring folks like that in and they, tell us about their day in the life what's going on people ask them questions you know yeah what is life like how do you deal with the rejection <laughs> um all that stuff which you know which people want to know so 